1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a AM member FDIC. Hey
0: everyone, I'm Meg Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back awesomes you are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart strong and social we are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know and you can find us on Instagram at sort of awesome show or over on Facebook in our sort of awesome hangout group this is episode 121 of the show and as all of you know we are now officially in the holiday season. I am so excited to tell you that this year, we are releasing our Sorta Awesome Gift Guide 2017 to all of our awesome listeners. That will be coming out later in November, but our super awesome listener supporters will get early access to that episode. It features all four of us on the Sorta Awesome team sharing our picks for holiday shopping for everyone on your list, even... And especially those people that are the hardest to shop for. And since it's a group show, there's a good amount of giggling and shenanigans. <laughs> Kelly Just knows. Just a little
1: bit. <laughs> it's a group show what happens in a group show
0: yes I know craziness always always so that's happening too so if you would like to get early access to that gift guide you can do that by becoming one of our listener supporters over at sort of awesome slash support you'll also get access to our private Facebook group that is just for our supporters as well as access to all of our supporter only episodes and again, you can find out more details on all of that at SortaAwesomeShow.com support. Okay, yes, here we are, episode 121 of Sorta Awesome, and I am really so excited about this week's episode. This is the time of year when we start to have lots of conversations in our Hangout community about how best to handle those tricky And I think I'm being generous with the word tricky here, (laughs) tricky family dynamics (laughs) Uh, that always seem to come up with the holidays. And so today, first of all, I am joined by my dear friend and very lovely co-host, Kelly Gordon. Hello, Kelly.
1: Hello, Meg. And hello, Awesomes.
0: We have brought in an expert because a lot of these situations, Kelly, we we read them in the Hangout group and we're like, this is so above our pay grade.
1: So above our pay grade. Like we are not licensed. And yet our heart goes out because yes. we recognize that these are real and they are hard and we have them in our lives too. And so we said, this is the time for the people who get paid to do this. This uh-huh. is the expert season.
0: Yes, definitely. So we have brought an expert back to help us deal. We're bringing back to sort of awesome Annie Wright. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and she is here to help us answer all of your questions about creating and maintaining good boundaries throughout the holiday season. So we're going to get to all of that in just a minute but first let's start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. It's the moment in the show when we each get to share with you about the books, the TV shows, podcast music, whatever it is. making our life a little bit more awesome this week. Kelly, I have a feeling that you have brought something delicious. I
1: have. And this isn't something that I have made myself. This is just a snack awesomes. And this one is something that you would just go to your neighborhood grocery store and buy. You could go get it today, I'm guessing, because I think this is pretty widely available. And the reason it's my awesome of the week is because As I mentioned on the podcast before, I am trying to get rid of my sugar tooth. And so I really am looking for snacks that kind of satisfy that sweet craving, but that are healthier and that don't take me down some sort of a spiral of just needing more sugar and the cravings of that. So what my awesome of the week is, is Chobani Greek yogurt, but specifically their flips,
0: Yes. Have you ever had any of these? I have, and they are delicious.
1: And they are delicious. Yes. So, my gateway to this was something actually at Costco. So, if you're a Costco shopper like I am, they have a big box. Right now, mine has just the one flavor it is the Almond Coco Loco. So, it is a coconut yogurt. And then the genius of these. And really for me, because yogurt just can be a little too creamy Mm. without anything on it. I almost can't eat plain yogurt. It's just a texture thing. I want some crunch in there. So these have the crunch built right into your packaging. So, you know, you peel back the yogurt and then you keep peeling and you get to a little portion where they have the flip stuff that goes in. So this is a coconut yogurt. And what you're flipping in are dark chocolate pieces and almonds. And you guys, it is so good it really does feel like I'm eating dessert Mm -hmm. and of course there's some sugar in there there's dark chocolate all the things but it really is much healthier than me actually eating a piece of coconut pie followed by a dark chocolate bar (laughs) which might be what I want or (laughs) or my daughter is the only other person in the family one of my daughters who actually likes the Almond Joy candy bars Mm -hmm. and so I'm my kids are always trying to pawn off their unwanted (gasps) coconut chocolate (laughs) Halloween candy on me.
0: Yes. You
1: know, they're like, "Taylor, can't eat all this, mom, you have to eat it." And I'm like, ah, "How do I how do I resist?" So this yogurt is helping to meet me right where I am when I want that coconut chocolate craving. But I have read about some of the other flavors, and so I'm going to have to go to a regular grocery store that has more options yeah. to try some of these because there's one that's like a peanut butter dream. It's a peanut butter yogurt. It has chocolate and peanut butter clusters that, like, get dumped into it and some peanuts. There's even, like, a coffee break, Bliss. It's got biscotti and dark chocolate that you're dumping into coffee-flavored
0: yogurt. Interesting. Okay. Yes.
1: There's a PB&J sort of version where, again, it's that peanut butter yogurt, but it's kind of got more of a peanut butter and granola on top. Um, there's one. This is going into, now that we survive pumpkin spice latte season, Minter is coming,
0: Ah. You know, right? It's everything <laughs> yes, mint. It's true. It's the most wonderful time of the year, if you ask it's, me. It's right.
1: <laughs> minter. So they have a, a minter version of their yogurt. It's mint Oreos that are being dumped <gasps> into a vanilla yogurt.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know if that's
1: just seasonal, but they even have some, and this is what I'm curious about. So, Awesome's, if you've ever tried these, they have even some that are a little bit more savory instead of sweet. Um, they have a Chipotle pineapple.
0: Mm. Okay. Have you ever seen it. this? Okay.
1: So, have you ever tried this? I'm just I curious. I haven't okay, tried so the savory ones, but
0: yeah. Have interesting. To, yeah.
1: So, they, they have, you know, sort of things like it's a pineapple yogurt, and then it has a Chipotle granola with pumpkin seeds that you dumped into it. Anyway, there's lots of varieties. I'm guessing that you can find one that you like, and you could substitute it for something that is sweeter, one of those candy bars or something that you're going to end up at the work vending machine that's tempting you. So, if you have one of these, Chobani Greek yogurt flips, my awesome of the week.
0: So good, and really a great healthy treat for the time of year where suddenly there are sweets everywhere all the time.
1: Right, and I feel like in these next few weeks, we just have a few weeks to kind of prepare ourselves (laughs) for the true onslaught. So it's kind of like if I can start to set some good habits now, maybe I can continue though on.
0: Yes, ma'am. I love it. Yeah. Okay, my awesome of the week this week is a podcast that I am completely obsessed with. It's called, Kelly, it's called True Crime Obsessed. Well uh-huh. wait, are
1: you are you Laura? What's going on? No,
0: I know. Are you guys having like a weird like what's happening? What universe am I in moment? I I am not I true... am. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I personally am not true crime obsessed, but I am obsessed with this podcast. It is one of the recommendations that I that has come into my life via our Sort of Awesome Hangout group. A few people have mentioned how much they have been loving this podcast and and what got me to try it is the people who shared this in the group said you do not have to enjoy true crime. You don't have to be a true crime fanatic. It is funny. It's a comedy podcast. what what they do okay let me just just start at the beginning my whole
1: brain just like went i I was tracking down true crime i was hearing law and orders theme music in my head (laughs) and then you're like and it's a comedy
0: yes what so here's here's the setup i should have started here i'm so i'm so bad at explaining things okay so the setup is it's hosted by two friends uh patrick hines and jillian pensavalli I was not familiar with Patrick before, but I was familiar with Jillian because she's the co-host on another podcast that I enjoy called Hamilcast, about all things (laughs) Hamilton. So I know Jillian is legit with her podcasting cred. Well, these two are both obsessed with true crime documentaries. And so the setup for the show is they watch a true crime documentary, some of them going back even into the 80s and early 90s, but lots of them that are current that are on Netflix right now that are easy to find. They watch it and then they walk you, the listener, through this documentary so you don't have to watch it. If you've watched it, I'm sure that you will get more out of it. But a lot of these are a little bit too intense for me because I'm like way on the periphery of true crime. I can handle a little bit. I can handle like serial season one level of true crime but that's about the edge of where i can go with true crime so they watch the documentaries they talk about them and they basically like make fun of you know like all of these different characters that are you know that are idiots or that you know like detectives that are terrible or journalists that are awful and um they just tell the story of it they really walk you through and they are so funny they are clearly very good friends they have um very hilarious commentary on these documentaries. And Kelly, I have to tell you, as a podcast producer myself, this is one of those podcasts that is so well produced that you don't even realize how well produced it is, because what they do, they don't just talk about it. They pull in clips from the documentaries to like give you an example. So again, you don't have to watch the documentary, but you can still get a little bit of the voices of the people who are on these films. I know they must spend so much time in post-production pulling those clips out, matching it up to where it goes in their conversation, but it's all completely seamless. Such a great listening experience. So I wanted to tell you a few that you could check out, even if you don't like true crime, that you can get a taste for how awesome and amazing this podcast is. If you go back to their second episode, they covered the documentary Catfish, the original Catfish documentary from 2010 that kind of explores how, you know, people can get caught up in relationships that are based on the Internet and they're not who the who person, they really are. Yeah. Not who you think it is. So that was a good one. And again, uh, the the crime aspect of it is very minimal. It's, you know, it's exploring that documentary of just like... Oh, 2008, 2010, this was a different time. And, you know, like just kind of really making a lot, of, giving a lot of commentary about how things have changed. Anyway, episode two about Catfish, really easy to listen to. Another one, Kelly, that you might even be interested in was their episode four called Kurt and Courtney, which is a documentary about Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. Okay. After his suicide in the 90s. And again, the crime level part of it, very low key, but really... A really good rehash of that documentary so there are a few sprinkled in there I'm a, I've just been binging it for the past week I'm about halfway through it I love it so much there's a few sprinkled in in there that even if you don't really care for true crime you will totally enjoy if you like a good comedy podcast I, I highly recommend this one.
1: Oh man that's a real talent to be able yes. to commentary on these things like did you ever watch this is a real throwback but mystery science theater 3000? of course yes okay good Um, I always say that was done, and it was. It was done in Minnesota, and that's what winter does to us, people. It it creates little loopy things in our heads, and we're like, you know what would be funny? (laughs) Like commentary on really old sci-fi with a robot? Yes. Oh, my word. But then if you can do it, if you're talented, it's the best thing to listen to, and it does create a little cult following. So I really feel like you have just let us in here Mm -hmm. on the beginning of what will be a trend, and so we can now tell all of our friends and laugh.
0: Yes, definitely. Again, True Crime Obsessed is the podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you to our Hangout group who brought this into my life. Speaking of our Hangout group every single Friday in the Sorta of Awesome Hangout, we open up the floodgates to the awesomes and say, tell us what is awesome in your life. You get to share your awesomes of the week. So don't forget, you can find us over there at facebook.com slash Sorta Hangout. Hey Awesomes, I know if you're anything like me, you would want the FDA to be a little bit more serious about asking feminine care brands to disclose a list of ingredients in their products. Major brands use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their products, including rayon and polyester. Their products may also be treated with harsh chemical cleansing agents, fragrances, and dyes. That's why I'm so happy that this episode is sponsored by Lola. Lola. You know I have been a customer of Lola for years because all of their products are made from 100% organic cotton. I also love that Lola subscriptions are fully customizable so you can choose your mix of products, your perfect mix of absorbency, how often it's delivered. You can change up your shipment at any time or skip a month if you need to. The team at Lola wants you to know how awesome it is to have 100% organic cotton feminine care products shipped right to your door every month. And they're offering 60% off of your first order when you go to mylola.com and enter promo code awesome60. That's the number 6060 when you subscribe. So to check out Lola, get 60% off your first order, go to MyLola.com and enter promo code AWESOME60 when you subscribe. Thank you so much to Lola. Okay, well, like I said at the top of the show, I'm really excited about the conversation that we get to share with you today. We brought Annie Wright onto the show back in episode 114, a fairly recent episode where Rebecca and I were talking about the importance of really smashing the lies that we've been believing about ourselves and really kind of breaking through to the awesome on the other side. We asked Annie on that episode to come and talk about how we can kind of retrain our thought patterns. And she just did an amazing job of explaining what that process looks like. So we thought this is the perfect time to bring her to sort of awesome. Like Kelly said, we needed to bring in Somebody who's really licensed to do this, <laughs> who knows what she's talking about. Annie is a marriage family therapist. She's a licensed psychotherapist, and she's also a social justice advocate. She is very passionate about working for the psychological and social empowerment of women and girls all around the globe. She's a published writer. She has pieces at in Forbes, um, at Upworthy, The Mighty, all over the Internet. And she has a thriving psychotherapy private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area, you can find out all things Annie Wright, which I highly recommend. And we will put her link into the show notes over at Psychotherapy.com. So, Kelly, in our conversation, we got to ask her about, like, what even are boundaries? Uh, how does this play out? How do we handle, like, ugh? can we please not talk about politics this year? Or we even talked to her about what it feels like to be on the other side of somebody having really firm boundaries around their holiday time and how they're going to do it, how sometimes that can leave hurt feelings on the other side. I mean, we cover it all. So I, this was a good one. I'm so excited. It was a good one.
1: And I feel so empowered. Annie's words, awesomes, I think will give you so much freedom and really help you head into the holidays feeling like, you know what you're going to do.
0: Well, Annie, thank you so much for coming back to Sorta Awesome, and especially this time of year when lots of us have some tricky situations that we're navigating. I'm so thankful that you had the time to come back and sit down and talk with us about some of these boundary issues today. I am so
2: delighted to be back, and uh, I could not agree more. These boundary issues really tend to come up at this time of the year, so I'm super happy to be here give some advice and support to your community.
0: Well, I know Kelly and I have talked actually a few times in past episodes of Sort of Awesome very generally about mm-hmm. boundaries. Kelly, And you, we've talked a little bit about kind of navigating with using some scripts to help us establish boundaries and mostly to help us kind of have positive self-talk. But let's just start at the beginning, sort of a boundaries 101, because for some people they're going to be, you know, really like, oh, I know exactly what you mean when you say you need a good boundary here, but other people might be like, <laughs> what are you actually talking about. Um, I've always kind of like simplified boundaries down to to talking about like boundaries kind of help keep the good stuff inside of us and help keep the bad stuff outside. That's how I really explain it to my kids. Mm
2: -hmm. Is that
0: kind of on the right track, Annie? Is that some is that kind of the general idea? What do we mean when we talk about boundaries really in relationships, especially?
2: Oh yeah. I think you're totally on the right track. And I I love that description, especially for children. That's, you know, really, I think is simple and concrete and helps them understand it. So boundaries is one of those abstract terms. If you know it, you know it, if you don't, it's a bit of a psychotherapy babble word sometimes. So the way I like to describe boundaries is this. I always think of boundaries as the invisible fences of our lives, Boundaries really help protect and support us in this world across, I think, five different areas, in my opinion, as a therapist. And those five different areas are emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, and sexual boundaries are not something you can necessarily see with your naked eye, unless you're trying to protect your body. Boundaries are also not fixed or static. They're supposed to be constantly changing as we move through the world, depending on the situations that we find ourselves in. So I'm going to use a couple different metaphors. Um, I've already said fences, but another way to think of boundaries is a little bit like um, a window mesh screen that you have around your whole person. And when you widen your boundaries, when you kind of open up your boundaries, imagine the mesh screen gets bigger. Um, so more can get in, just like you were saying, the good stuff can get in. But then when we're in a situation where we need to hold tighter boundaries, imagine that mesh tightening and protecting you against maybe. Bad or harmful stuff, so it doesn't get in. So that's another way to describe and think of boundaries.
0: That totally makes sense. And I think for some people, Kelly and I are married to men that have very similar personalities. And I'm guessing, Kelly, that Corey does not have a lot of like angst over boundaries in his life.
1: No, because it's just common sense. Like, this is how you want people to treat you. So you hold that. And it's not hard for him to put those boundaries into place or to hold the line.
0: Right. Same thing with my husband. I tend to be very angsty about it. And like, <laughs> I really have to have a lot of self talk, just to establish a boundary. But then if that boundary kind of gets challenged, like, if I get any pushback, then I like, Oh, gosh, I got to rethink all of this. And my mm-hmm. husband, he'd never like really spins out over that. And I don't think it's a man and woman type situation. Mm -hmm. I think it's just some people's personalities are very, I, yeah, this is the way it's going to be. And other people's maybe, are. it's a little bit more complicated. Is that what you have kind of found in your practice, Annie? Well,
2: that is such a great question. And how interesting that you both have male partners who um, do something a little bit different. So, you know, I think, I think it's complex. I think there are a couple different factors here. I don't think that it's inherently biologically gendered Mm -hmm. as in, um, you know, genetically male, uh, you know, little boys are good at boundaries and girls are not. I do think there's an element of social conditioning that comes into play here where, men and boys may be more supported in having certain boundaries versus little girls. And then ultimately women, um, think about the messages we receive a lot as women around what it is to be a mother or just as a female in the world. And so much of that has to do with pleasing, which is kind of the opposite of holding your own boundaries, or it can be, mm. let me put it that way. So there's a social conditioning piece that I think we have to consider and then there's this other piece, which I always think about just in terms of family dynamics, whether you're a boy or a girl, were you raised in a family that modeled good boundaries and helped you understand and support and honor your own? So when we are adults, um, moving through the world, experiencing our boundaries, Whether we have an easy time with it or a hard time, I always think there's probably a lot of factors at play, Mm -hmm. social conditioning, but also the way we were raised.
0: That makes a lot of sense. We are definitely, there's holistic people with all kinds of feedback coming into our life that has shaped how we navigate these things. Yes. Yes, we were talking a little bit before we started recording that this is the time of year that not only are lots of those of us here in the awesome community, but in the bigger culture, like this is Mm -hmm. the time of year when some relationships that normally through the year just kind of float through and things are fine. But then when we get to the holidays, like it's suddenly there's, it feels like everything's strained on every end. And you were saying that in your practice with your, with your clients that you see and, and talk to that you're seeing that this time of year as well.
2: Oh yes, very much. So for whatever reason, I think October 31st, Halloween is like the, it's like, (laughs) I think of it as like, the the start horn on a race where like family dynamics start coming more and more into the practice and people start asking me questions about, well, what about this Thanksgiving? And what if I really don't want to go home for Christmas, then what, you know, so this is a, a very evocative time of the year when it comes to family dynamics and, and boundaries.
0: Well, we asked in our sort of awesome hangout group, our awesome community on Facebook. We asked if anybody might have a few questions for Annie. Kelly, how many did you say? How many comments did you say came in on that thread? We
1: had more than 150 at last count. Oh my
0: gosh. It was a very
1: popular and very interesting thread to read because there, it obviously, like you just said, Annie, it's not only. Just in our culture, but it feels like, especially right now at this time in history, Mm -hmm. um, that there's just a lot that's coming up that maybe before people didn't have to face, they could just kind of say, well, we're just going to pretend that that's not happening. Um, And it's just harder to do. So it's a very real, real thing as evidenced in that thread.
0: Yes. Yes. So I should say so. Yeah. Mm. I was going to say what I did was I kind of took the variety of questions that were shared on that thread. And plus, some people emailed me privately to share some of their situations. And I tried to kind of consolidate into a couple of the major themes that seemed to come up over and over. If anything, I hope that the Awesomes who did were able to read through that thread, and for all of you Awesomes who are listening, I hope that if nothing else, we can walk away going like, we're not the only family that struggles with this. I think sometimes Uh, we get stuck in this like Norman Rockwell image of everybody is, you know, congenially gathered around the table. And nobody's giving side eye. Nobody's,
2: <laughs> you know, <laughs>
0: nobody's freezing anybody out. Everybody's just mm-hmm. so warm and happy and glad to be there. But truthfully, it seems like if you have some strain in relationships around the holidays, that's the norm. You're normal. So... Just, you oh, know,
2: yeah.
0: find comfort in that a little <laughs> bit. But, right, so, and I think there were even some people who said that in that thread that
1: said, you know, this made me feel better. <laughs> we're not all the Bravermans. In fact, maybe no one's the Bravermans. Exactly.
2: Oh, exactly. boy. Yeah, I would definitely say if you uh, feel like you have challenging family dynamics around the holidays, you're more in the majority than the minority. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Okay. So let's kind of start with one of the basic questions, which was, just how do you set appropriate boundaries to help ensure that your feelings are being respected, that your needs, that you and your family's needs are being met without appearing to be selfish or self-focused? I think the The words that this particular um, community member used really point back to what you were saying, Annie, about the way we're socialized, that we would feel like we were being selfish Mm -hmm. or self-centered by creating boundaries. And this this question got asked in a lot of different ways, like Mm -hmm. um, how do we help our family of origin and our in-laws understand that we just want to have time with our little family or just me and our part, you know, my partner, myself uh, is it realistic to be able to do that? And then another aspect of it that lots of us have to navigate is when we have to um, plan around divorced parents, remarriage, maybe mm-hmm. d- siblings that have divorced and remarried, and and everybody wants you to be at all the places all at mm-hmm. once in the impossibility mm-hmm. of that. So, kind of just start us at the ground level. How do we go about setting those boundaries? What's appropriate and what's realistic?
2: Mm-hmm. Boy there's so much to unpack here. Um, what a great question. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's start, let's start with the very, very basics in order to set good boundaries. You have to really know what the boundaries you want to set are. And so whenever I'm working with a client, um, or even coaching a friend around this, I am not interested in what you think you should do, what you could do. Um, what you're worried your mother in law might think if you don't do. I truly want to know what it is that you deeply want at your core. That is a hint. That's a big clue about what you, the boundary you may want to set is. So, first things first, like really reflect on what it is. If I could wave a proverbial magic wand and you could have the ideal day, Ugh. what does that look like? Yes. Okay. Like, amazing. let's go from there. Yes. <laughs> You're nodding your head. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, <laughs> I know, right? That's why we start there. Like, start with what it is you truly want. And then there's this other piece of, okay, well, then how do we communicate it in a way where it gets heard? Um, And is what we're asking for realistic? Boy, these are two really different questions. So here's the thing. Um, Are your boundaries realistic to set? Well, only, I mean, that's completely subjective. Only you can say that. Is this um, a realistic boundary to set? Probably it is. Is it a realistic thing to set a boundary? Sure. If you have a voice, you can realistically set that boundary. Now, is it going to be perceived as a realistic boundary? By the family members you said it with? That is a wild card question. We don't know. You can state your boundaries as clearly, kindly, and firmly as you possibly can. You could be the most eloquent person on the planet trying to articulate your boundaries, and you still cannot control how you're going to be perceived or received by your family members. So let's just be really careful to unhook those things. It's totally reasonable and I think just, I think it's reasonable. And I think it's really healthy to sit your but we don't know how you're going to be received. So those two things aside, how can you frame your requests in a way that your family members can hear? Mm -hmm. Well, I have a couple thoughts about that. I mean, let's take this example specifically about, um, you know, maybe wanting to spend Christmas morning with your own little ones, with your own nuclear family and not go running around. You could say something to be effective you know, hey mother-in-law. I love that you guys want to hang out with us on Christmas. It's so clear to me that you just adore the kids, and I, I can't tell you how much that means to me as a mom and as your daughter-in-law. I also wanted to let you know that this year we talked about it, and we are deciding to spend Christmas morning just together as a family, just at our house. And um, I know that might be a shift from the way we've done things before. So do like, do know that we're still able to see you guys on Christmas Eve. Um, we're happy to spend boxing day or the 26th with you, but this is a new tradition we're starting this year. So that's a a way you could say it. Um, again, you don't know how she's going to receive it or any family member will receive it, but you don't have to be more than clear and firm and kind when you do set it.
0: I love that. And I do think that that is a very kind and gracious way to do it and, and definitely acknowledges the other person's role in the dynamic. And yeah, I think that's a great starting. Great um, I want to just really help
2: everyone understand that one of the most common things I hear uh, from clients and actually uh, really often from women is, oh, gosh, I can't set that boundary. It's going to be selfish. Or um, my, you know, my mother-in-law or my my mom or, you know, my husband, they'll think that I'm I'm being selfish if I set that boundary. And I really want to unhook the word selfish. I want us to think about this, reframe that word as self-caring and self-supporting. Selfish is a, a you know a bit of a four-letter word in my office. Mm-hmm. Um, I think setting boundaries is actually really important for our psychological health. So I just wanted to say that in case you are worried about people perceiving you as selfish. They may perceive you that way. It doesn't mean that you are.
0: Oh, that gave me chills just now. That's good. Yeah. That is good. And, and we need to
1: hear it. I feel like what happens lots of times when I talk to friends about boundaries is what we're really saying isn't so much that, I don't know how to set boundaries or I don't know what my boundaries are. We're saying, I want to be able to control how people react to my boundaries. You know, is there a magic Mm. pill that I can put out there that would make it so that I can set them and everybody's happy with it, that they don't perceive me as selfish so that I don't have to kind of hold that or push it? Because then when people come back and say, well, you're being selfish, it kind of confirms those things that you don't want to have to to face or that you're not sure how to articulate. So how do you, I think so much of it when it comes to boundaries is we're saying, I don't like how people respond to my boundaries. (laughs) Is there a way that we can set ourselves up for the potential of people not responding to our boundaries with acceptance?
2: Yeah, well, this is a real double bind because essentially it's like a choice between do I not state my boundaries and remain uncomfortable because everyone's asking all these things to me and I don't like it? Or do I state my boundaries and risk being uncomfortable because I'm displeasing people? You're basically making a trade-off between two different kinds of discomfort. Yes. And you have to really, I think, how do you prepare yourself for people to be disappointed in your reactions? You just have to make the choice that you're more willing to tolerate that discomfort than the other kind. Mm. And then you get more comfortable with it over time. Look, none of us, I think from a biological or evolutionary standpoint, like feeling uh, disconnected from one another or ostracized from the tribe. Our very survival hinged on it when our ancestors roamed the plains. It was much safer to survive in groups than it was solo out on the prairie or whatnot. Um, and to a certain extent, our brain still registers social rejection in, in a lot of the same ways as it being a life death situation. But listen, your mother-in-law disapproving of you is not the same thing as being face-to-face with a saber-toothed tiger, even though it may feel like it sometimes. <laughs> it's not. It's not. So the more you, st- you practice setting your boundaries and tolerating the discomfort of Letting down others, the more you can kind of acclimate and remind yourself that my survival is not at stake, it's uncomfortable, but it, you know, I'm not in danger, the more uh, comfortable you're going to be with setting boundaries.
0: That's so helpful. And I think, Kelly, you make a great point that it really does come down to we want to both control like how our time is shaping up and where we're going to be at what time. And we also want to control the response to that. And that part actually maybe just the unrealistic part of this whole dynamic is that we yeah. get to, we do get to decide this is what this is going to look like for us, but we don't get to decide how people respond. And that's a big, I have to self-talk myself through that a lot, even at, oh yes. you know, age 40, I'm still having those conversations with myself.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, look, I'm a therapist and I still have those conversations with myself all, <laughs> the, time, oh, good.
0: all the time. Oh, that makes you me know, feel I so think- much
2: better. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yes. I mean, ideally, we're all members of families or friend groups where we can set our boundaries and they'll be well received and well supported. Um, But that's not always the case, right? So it is a bit of a trade off for us each time.
1: Okay, so Annie, here's another question that may kind of synthesize down from that big thread. How do you find a healthy way to handle unwanted conversation topics like the brother who won't stop talking politics or the mother-in-law who nitpicks the parenting decisions that you're making in front of her, or the cousin who's bringing up religious things that you don't really want to talk about as a group. Is there a good way for us to redirect the conversation or just disengage from it
2: entirely? Oh, such a great question and something that I think all of us can relate to at Mm -hmm. any family gathering, right? Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> there there are a couple ways we can deal with that situation. So, you know, one of the things I encourage people to do if they have the kind of family that's open to hearing boundaries or that is very communicative. Let people know up front, look, you know, X, Y, Z is off limits this year as the conversation topic. I'm thinking in 2017, it may be politics in particular, um, you know, start a family email chain or even start it at the beginning of the day. And certainly if you're the hostess of Thanksgiving, um, or Christmas, um, definitely state that you, you have a right to do so. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree, but that's one way of trying to at least control uh, what boundaries around conversation topics might exist. Um, if that is not available to you or if you don't feel comfortable doing that and the day of the holiday arrives and people are just jumping into topics that are making you feel uncomfortable, there's a couple different ways of dealing with it in the moment. For instance, you can try ignoring it. Maybe that will you know, feel okay for you. If it doesn't feel okay, and in fact, if it's coming at you directly, um, you could possibly use humor to soften the boundary, something along the lines of like Oh, yeah, I think we can all agree after 2017 that politics is probably a no-go conversation going this holiday. Am I right? Mm-hmm. You know, using a little bit of humor to deflect, I think, can can be really good um, and effective sometimes. Similarly, with um, humor, there's another deflection tool that I like, which is simply skating on through and changing the topic, deflecting to a different topic. I find that my, my husband is a bit of a master at this. So I I like to take a a page from his book. He'll say along the lines of, well, well, isn't that something, huh? Okay. Well, mom, did you know that little junior got an A on his spelling test last week? And just like, there you go. Move right on.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: Finally, I think if those are not available and the conversation is getting super heated and you're finding yourself quite uncomfortable, your boundaries aren't being respected, walk away, literally remove yourself from the room. If you can, it's another way of dealing with it. It may not be ideal, but it's an option that's there for you.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it does come to that. We have talked about on the show in the past, we call it based on something I read years ago, the bean dip method of disengaging, or like you said, redirecting. The conversation Mm -hmm. where it's just, yeah, it's just, well, that is... One way to think about it. Hey, you want some bean dip? And just kind of like literally <laughs> just <laughs> shift right away from that problem topic. Yes. So,
1: yes. And I think because I we've talked that. about it on the show, I have actually said I need to come up with a, a few things that I can have to deflect the conversation to in the back of my head. You know, some things that are news about the grandchildren, some pop culture thing that is very inoffensive that you can say, did you see that? What are you watching? Um, You know there's lots of things. It helps me anyway, to have some of those in my back pocket, so to speak, because we do a lot of that as well. My husband is also very good at even just doing the uncomfortable. Oh, Mm -hmm. and then letting it be. Uh And then, you know, because Mm -hmm. if people are sensitive and not everybody is, but if people are sensitive to those social clues, they're going to go, Oh, I see that this is probably not, a place we're going to go and then changing the topic so that you're not having to feel like you either have to agree or disagree. You're just saying, Hmm.
0: Yep. And then you move
1: on.
2: (laughs) I love that. That's great. That's great. And you're actually bringing up a tool that I, I talk to my clients about with, um, with just family dynamics in general. If you've got some family members that, boy, every time you talk to them, it feels like everything spirals out of control and it goes into a really, Heated or dysfunctional dynamic really quickly. I think what you need to think about is creating, um, like two columns. You can either write it down in your journal or type it out on your, your iPhone or something, create two columns of topics. All the topics that, you know, are kind of off limits because they generate hostility, difference, challenge, like the, the narcissism, whatever it is, like all the, the inflammatory topics, put them in one column. Then on the other, try and think of at least five topics even if it's the weather, even if it's your local sports team that don't trigger quite so much reaction, go into a situation with, um, challenging family members, uh, with that list of topics, you know, you can turn to that historically have not been inflammatory. It's a really good preparation step.
0: I like that. I really do. And sometimes I'm, this is the kind of dorky person I am. Sometimes I'll even like practice just on my own, like, You know, like if I was going to say, you know, if I was going to switch the topic to, you know, like what's good on Netflix, just, you know, be like, have a little practice conversation. I think that goes back to my teaching days. I used to practice my lectures for my (laughs) students out loud to myself. (laughs) So I'm totally making that dorky confession that I will even practice, you know, changing the topic of conversation.
1: (laughs) I've even used my
0: kids. I've prepped
1: them and said, do you guys have a joke? That you really want to share, so that if it becomes that awkward moment, I go, "Taylor, what was that joke you wanted to tell, Grandma?" Yes. You know, and so then they can they can pop in, which they tend to pop in anyway. Sometimes, you know, it's a good somebody's crying. You want to go check on them. You want to go check on the turkey. There's lots of ways that you can kind of gently extradite yourself from a situation. But I have kind of prepped my kids like, (laughs) be prepared (laughs) to share the story.
2: So great. That's so great. And, and to your point, Meg, I mean, the thing that comes to mind for me is it's like our, our military never, I mean, they don't go into battle and then practice their moves there at, you know, for the first time they drill it consistently time and time again, before they ever go into battle. So it's a bit of a reflex when they are there in the heat of the moment. And I'm not saying that the holidays of families are necessarily battles, (laughs) but but I'm not saying saying
0: that (laughs) it never hurts to be prepared. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yes. Okay, good. Hey awesome's, I was just looking over our family calendar and it's safe to say that the holiday crunch time is here. Our schedule may be crazy, but one thing that always makes my life easier is meal kit delivery from Sunbasket. Sunbasket makes it easy to cook seasonal, nutritious meals no matter how busy our family gets. The meals are designed to fit the way families eat today, which means you can choose from paleo, lean and clean, gluten-free, vegetarian. All of the meals are created by an award-winning chef and approved by nutritionists. Sunbasket sends you organic, sustainable ingredients that are all pre-measured and ready to go. My kids love to get in the kitchen with me and together we can get these meals ready in about 30 minutes. I super love that our Sunbasket meals get my kids excited to try new foods that we might not be eating otherwise. So to get your family in on this sunbasket fun, go to sunbasket.com slash sorta today and get $35 off of your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash sorta for $35 off at sunbasket.com slash sorta. Thank you to sunbasket. Well, now this next question, we had a few people share this privately, mostly people emailed things along these lines. And I thought this was a very interesting part of the dynamic. And I'm so glad a few people brought this up because we had a few people that are like, I'm on the other side of the boundary issue. I'm going to read one specifically that an awesome shared with us. She said her brother and sister-in-law are very firm in their visiting rules, visiting rules, they can, you can um, visit once or twice a year. You have to arrive on Friday at a certain time and leave on Sunday at a certain time. They will come and visit you, but they will only stay for forty-eight hours. Anyone who visits them has to stay in a hotel. Um, they have their routines very well, you know, in control, and they really do have some firm boundaries in their life. But for this awesome who wrote in. She said she's the one who's kind of dealing with her own sad feelings because she imagined that when her kids were growing up, that they would, would have a similar experience that she did growing up with her cousins and sleeping on the floor, visiting relatives, staying for week o- weeks on end at a grandparent's house, and that she respects the boundaries they set. But it still leaves her feeling a little sad and maybe even a little resentful because she's part of that family dynamic, too, and in just trying to navigate her own feelings on that end. And so at the end she asked, what can I do to accept being boundaried? Which I know <laughs> that as we are sharing all of these things about like, how do we, you know, support ourselves in creating boundaries? I know that there are people who are listening. that are like, gosh, I agree with everything that you're saying, but man, I still feel sad that I don't get to see this family member as much. I don't get to see the kids this much. So I would love to hear your perspective, Annie, on that. Again, it's mostly an issue of kind of navigating our own feelings about other people's choices.
2: Well, the first thing I want to say is that Right. Kind of back to the point that we made earlier where people hold boundaries. It doesn't always mean that everyone's going to be happy. Right. And so I think this is a very common situation also for people, as much as we might want to set boundaries, sometimes it can feel really hard to be at the receiving end of boundaries. And what I want to say to that is your feelings being disappointed or sad or even resentful, any of your feelings they're they're completely valid. It's, it's really hard when we are at the receiving end of a boundary that we don't like. And just as you would imagine, it might be for, for anyone else. And so you have every right to feel your feelings. That's the first thing I, I want to say. And, you know, as we've been talking about, they also do have a right to set their boundary. That said, there are so many pieces in this situation, as I'm sure there would be in any situation that I get very curious about. What's behind this boundary? What do you think these people are trying to boundary against has there been a conversation with these folks about what it is that they need in order to feel more comfortably comfortable and maybe um, relax their boundaries a bit if you are the kind of person who feels safe and open and comfortable enough to talk with your family members who are setting a hard boundary and you're also willing to adjust your behavior to make them feel more comfortable maybe such a hard boundary doesn't be need to be set in the first place that said, if the boundary still remains in place, if they're not flexible with changing it, I think then I would invite you know this this awesome or, or anyone who's at the receiving end of something like this to to really sit with your feelings. Again, in this case, it sounds like there's some you know sadness about how it's not the same as what we used to have. It's different than when I was growing up as a kid. So it's important to get in touch with the source of the, your pain with them setting the boundary, like, and to see what that's about. If it's like in this situation, I can really imagine if you only have two family trips a year and they're only for 48 hours, maybe there's a fear about not having enough contact. Okay. So then what are some creative solutions that you can maybe implement to get more contact? Is it twice a month, the uh, FaceTime or Skype dates? Is it something else? Like how can we get creative about this to help tend to your feelings if they're not willing to budge on their boundary? and then at the end of the day you know and this is maybe not the thing that everyone wants to hear but if there's no way that the person setting the boundary is willing to shift it and you really don't have a lot of room changing the dynamic you have to grieve it you have to allow your feelings of sadness and disappointment to be okay you have to release the expectations that maybe you had around what this could look like and in doing so you're going to more organically arrive at some acceptance but until you grieve it, you can't really arrive at acceptance.
0: That's very powerful. Very true. And I, we've dealt with this a little bit in my family of origin with um, one of my siblings who is uninterested in being part of our bigger fi- family dynamic for various reasons. And it definitely is. I've experienced that myself. It's a grieving process. The first few years, I had a lot of angry feelings about it. Now I'm not so much angry. Now I'm more just like sad and you know, nostalgic for days when we were younger. But at the same time, as time goes by, I'm seeing how new traditions are being established and new routines and new memories are being made. And that, I mean, it does, it doesn't take away the sting of not having that sibling participate. But at the same time, it does give me like a little bit of hopefulness because a lot of it I think is kind of projecting onto my kids' experience of, you know, what this, Mm -hmm. what family is like. And Mm -hmm. so kind of seeing how as they get older, like, yeah, we're we're okay. We're, we're, we're doing our own thing in these ways and it's turning out just fine. So I feel like expectations are so tricky. And so Mm -hmm. much of what we deal with
1: in boundaries is our expectations of other people, our expectations of ourselves, what we want things to look like versus the reality of really what it is. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to just piggyback on that if I can and ask Mm -hmm. a question because you brought up Mm -hmm. kids, Meg. How do you help your kids to deal with? the fact that they may have had their own expectations of what family could or should look like. And so because of various dynamics, you know, there's boundaries in play by you, there are boundaries in play by other people. And they're saying, well, but this isn't what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I. you're saying, well, we are going to go to grandma's for, you know, for Christmas morning. And they're saying, oh, I really wanted to stay home. How do you help your kids to deal with this on kind of their level of dealing with the fallout from boundaries?
2: I think it's, you know, it's the same thing that I would counsel any adult to, you know, around. Sometimes we don't always get the things that we want um, because life isn't perfect and we can't control every element. And when there's a lot of people involved, sometimes we have to trade off the things that we want so other people can get a little bit of what they want. And sometimes that's what it means of, you know, to be in a family, isn't it? So, I think it's really important to acknowledge their feelings. I think it's important to um, let them know that family and life is complex and that we don't all always get what we want, right? I mean, that's one of the big lessons we need to teach kids so they're not professionally displayed as an adult, right? So this actually becomes an opportunity, I think, to teach that lesson. And that said, too, you can get creative about a fa- as a family about how you might like to spend the rest of that day. If the morning isn't exactly ideally what you wanted, well, how can you make Christmas Eve or even Christmas night just perfect as a family? Like, what, let's brainstorm together about how we can make that feel better. So, those are a couple ideas that come to mind. What do you, what do you two think? How do you explain that to your own kids?
1: That's pretty much exactly what we have found ourselves doing unintentionally to some degree. Is that as our kids get older and they say, "Well, this is kind of what I was hoping for." You know, we say we can't control all of those things, but we can do this. So let's find a few things or let's find a way to give you a purpose or to give you you at that gathering that you don't want to go to. <laughs> How can we make it as enjoyable for you as possible? Um Or... How can we, like you just said, take a different time? So we're going to host Thanksgiving this year, and it's going to be a really big gathering of just because some people are coming in from out of town that are in-laws, of my in-laws, there's going to be people that we don't even know. And I have some introverts who are like, I'm not excited about this, about having these people in our house who I don't know. It's going to be awkward. So we're like, you know what? We're going to just do our own little family Thanksgiving Um, the day before the day after that week, we can still do a lot of the things that you enjoy while we still practice hospitality and have that day. So we're trying to find a way to do exactly what you said and find that middle road where you do get some things, but we also learn that it is complex. We do things for other people and that's okay too. What, what, what would you say, Meg? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, definitely. And I was even thinking of the bigger, like the lead up to Christmas. We have done this for a few years. And Kelly, it's probably something I learned from you years ago. We do that thing where the kids, I have four kids, the kids get to pick like one thing that's Christmassy from the Christmas season that they want Mm -hmm. to do. And we make sure that we do that. It's it's almost never attached to the actual Christmas day. Mm -hmm. And so we get to have we get to do lots of memory making and fun and and activities and all of those things in the lead up to Christmas. And then we recognize and I really do try to emphasize this for my kids, that um, being in a family that there's trade offs for things and that there are moments we don't always get to do everything that we want, but having that sort of like foundation of they have gotten to do some fun things like go look at Christmas lights or um I have one child that loves to wrap all the presents like that. It's fine by me. <laughs> that is her thing that she <laughs> loves to do. As soon as the Amazon packages start arriving, she wants to whip out the wrapping paper and wrap. And I'm like, that's great. You do it. So that there is that sense of like, I got to do something fun that I like to do this Christmas season. And now when Christmas Day rolls around, I'm game for whatever we have planned. And it's so far helped. Now we haven't fully entered the teen years where, you know, there's lots of big feelings about how they spend <laughs> their time on the break and those types of things. But so far, so good on letting them have some fun things that are just for them in the lead up to Christmas.
2: Beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like naturally and intuitively, you guys are both doing this and and really, Well, first of all, very amazing creative solutions that you've both found. I'm um, taking notes myself about that. Um, And, and, you know, what we're really speaking towards is how is, is something I'm always trying to emphasize in my work as a therapist, which is life is not black or white. It's not either or it exists in the gray zone. Right. So it's not that we don't get to do any of the things we like for the holiday or all the things that we like for the holiday. It's probably somewhere in between. And that's going to be true for kids. It's true for us as adults as we move through the world. Life is in the gray zone. It's both and, not either or.
0: Absolutely. So true. Well, I wanted to share this observation that one of our awesomes shared as she kind of was reading through various comments on our thread, asking for questions to share with you today, Annie. And she said that basically what it comes down to, she said, I need strategies to be my best self when I'm in the presence of difficult people, I feel like I have figured out how to manage our situations. But how do we move from just gritting our teeth and getting through it to really feel like we're thriving through these holiday dynamics? And this is the key, not turning to bad behavior ourselves. Or is that even realistic? So I was like, you know, that's actually what we are all looking for in life, I think. How do we be our best selves, holidays or not, when we're in the presence of difficult people?
2: Oh, wow. What a great question. And I have so many thoughts about this. Okay. Well, the first thing um, that comes to mind for me when, when I hear that is um is this quote that Liz Gilbert, the writer, once shared. I think it might have been on her Facebook page or something about like a a spiritual teacher said it to her. So I'm paraphrasing. But and the spiritual teacher said something to the effect of, "If you think you are advanced and wise and doing great in your personal growth work, go home for the holidays."
0: Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so true. My sister and I have laughed so much about how there's something about going back to our childhood, you know, dynamics in, in the holidays that, like, we just revert back to. We're we're a full grown totally. adult, yeah. but we revert back to totally. things that we yeah. used to do when we were teenagers. You know? Totally,
2: I. I don't care who you are or where you are. We all, I think, turn a little bit into our 13-year-old selves when we go back home for the holidays, right? (laughs)
1: Which is not our best self now. (laughs) Definitely. It may not be. It may not be.
2: Not at all. And so I guess I'm bringing this up because, first of all, I want to have so much compassion for, um, the, the, the experience that you have. If, if you, if it's hard for you moving through the holidays at home, well, guess what? That makes sense. It's hard for a lot of us. And so let's have some compassion for the fact that it does feel challenging. And, you know, maybe we can even lower the bar. Maybe we can lower the expectations there. If we have a reasonable expectation of, yeah, my 13 year old self is probably going to get triggered it might actually paradoxically make it easier to move through that time. Mm. So that's, that's the first thing I want to say, like go a little bit easy on yourself. It's hard for a reason. Um, Oh, this other um, wonderful quote that somebody shared with me once is, um, you know, do do you know why your family is so good at pushing your buttons? Well, they installed them.
0: Uh, So again, uh,
2: bear it in mind, bear it in mind. But that being said, we you know if if we can acknowledge that it's probably going to be a little hard, we can also put a strategy in place to um, make sure that we cope more effectively. Um, because again, we we might have more coping skills and tools now than we did when we were thirteen year olds, right? I mean, I'm I'm thinking that's probably true for most of us. So it's good to have a self care strategy as you head home for the holidays, or you invite your family to your house to host, etc. And I think these strategies fall into a couple of buckets. One, there's kind of like The pregame bucket, there's the during and then there's the after. One of the things I I just always like to emphasize is if you're heading into the holidays and you are burnt out and just completely depleted yourself, I don't know why on earth you think it's going to be easy when you get to the actual holiday um, itself. Yes, taking good care of yourself in the lead up, making sure that your well is filled, making sure that you've got some really good self care things going on. Um, That's really important. You want to enter a stressful time with as much reserves as you have. So that's the first thing, whatever your self care plan looks like in advance, stick to it. Now, during the holidays itself, I actually really like people to develop a self care plan, um, whether it's for the day of, or the couple days that they're home, or the couple days that they have their relatives staying with them. What is it that you're going to need to? quite frankly, you know, soothe yourself, calm yourself to make you feel like you're not losing your mind. Um, What are the tools and tricks you can put in place? Is it making sure you have your girlfriends on speed dial or on a group text? Is it making sure you get your morning run in no matter what? Is it making sure you get your eight hours of sleep? Um, Really build in some supports during that time. And then, you know, one thing that we could also do, like if you really, really want to look at this and and figure out how you can thrive during the holidays and not just survive it reframe the time that you're spending with your family again view it a little bit like an anthropological study you're kind of watch stepping back and watching you know these group dynamics unfold see if you can unhook yourself personally it might make it a little easier than if you're hooked into it imagine that you're watching some sort of like national lampoon christmas movie play out in front of you and see if you can <laughs> yes. find the humor in it like right. do whatever you can to reframe the time um, along with, you know, making sure you're doing great self-care before and after to kind of get through it. But more than anything else, have compassion for yourself if it doesn't feel easy.
0: That is awesome. I love that idea. I love that phrase of just unhooking yourself. I'm going to really grasp onto that this holiday season because I I do tend to get Before I even know it, it's not even a conscious thing, but I'll just be completely hooked into whatever the dynamic is and just giving myself the permission to unhook and just like kind of get a little bit more objective about it. um, I think that's really amazing advice. I've actually done
1: things like physically to unhook to lots of times since I'm hosting, it makes it a little bit easier because I can literally remove myself from a situation or conversation and go to the kitchen. I will also strategically... Not put myself near certain people at the table because I know that I'm not even going to want to overhear their conversation. And if I don't want to try to micromanage everything, which I don't, then it's just better for me to not hear it Mm -hmm. because then I can stay out of it easier. So those are a few. And then my sister sometimes will like pull me away because she can tell that I am like, you're talking about Meg <laughs> subconsciously. I'm just like going toward the light, like a deer. And she's like, Oh, Kelly, come over here. Look at me, look at me, look at me. So she's sometimes you have somebody who is on your team, so to speak in that situation, whether it's a spouse or a sibling, or even a child, you can see you going down the rabbit trail. Mm-hmm. And who are you back to the land of sanity? I love that. I love so that. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, some of the questions that people shared in some of the situations really go a lot deeper than what we could ever hope to cover on um, a podcast episode. And some of them, I really do think would people would really benefit from checking in with a counselor or a therapist to just run some of the specifics of the situation past a neutral third party. I think Laura has talked about this on sort of awesome before. I don't think she'll mind me re mentioning this, that both for, for her personal life and me, myself What drove us to therapy were situations in our families of origin or our distant extended family that were affecting us. And that's what kind of got us to go in to talk to a professional, because I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm only going to go to therapy to talk about my own issues, but. Sometimes when you go in to talk about issues in your family, then you can kind of start <laughs> to uncover and unravel how those issues in your, in your family have created issues for yourself. So people were, you know, sharing scenarios that have to do with narcissistic people in their family or even just really, really deeply unhealthy, toxic people relationship dynamics that not they're not a new thing they've been going on for years or managing um, your emotions around somebody who's grieving I mean there's a lot of really specific things that were shared that I would just encourage you check in with a professional it doesn't have to be you know the long-term Tony Soprano with his therapist situation that a lot of us think (laughs) when Mm. we are you know making an appointment with a therapist it could be something more short short short-term like I need help right now with this situation and I'm going to reach out and get the help that I need.
2: Yeah. I I really want to echo what you're saying. I mean, of course, you know, um, the advice that I'm giving can be therapeutic in nature, but it's not, you know, it's not professional advice. I definitely encourage everyone to seek out individual mental health care from licensed professionals where they are. If what's coming up for them are deeper dynamics or stickier questions, or even even a lot of really painful feelings listening to this, you may be actually feeling triggered as you listen to Mm. some of these suggestions. That's a clue that maybe there's something more there that you need to work through. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I always think that therapy, whether it's short term or long term, it literally is one of the very best investments you can ever make in yourself. And if you're on the fence, like, um, you know, do I need therapy to think about this? If you're even thinking about it, probably go probably reach out to a counselor, even for a couple of, of sessions because, obviously your unique situation is so much more complex and nuanced than what we can talk about in a podcast episode. And, um, a licensed professional can really help you work through the specifics of your situation.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Annie, we are going to definitely be sharing in the show notes, some, um, relevant writing that you have done on your blog and your website is Annie, Psychotherapy.com. We'll link to all of your places in the show notes, because again, you have been on the show before, but people have just found your guidance to be so helpful. So thanks for coming back to Sword of awesome. This has been wonderful.
2: You are so welcome. I am really honored. And I am so I'm glad that anything I can share can make um, the holiday season feel a little bit easier for the awesome community. I know it's a be a triggering time of the year for many of us that can coexist alongside the wonderful parts of it. So um, I really hope that your your awesomes just have a a good holiday season and do what you need to do to take care of yourselves.
0: Okay. Well, awesomes, thank you so much for letting us share this with you right now. We hope so much that this is an episode that will stick with you, that will be helpful for all kinds of situations. I mean, we are talking about the holidays specifically right now, but navigating family dynamics, friendship dynamics, this is something that really, honestly, Kelly, it's year round.
1: (laughs) It really is. I mean, I think it does come to a head, like we said with Annie, at the holidays, a lot of things just because of the stress seem to bubble to the surface. But this is one of those things that we always just need to be practicing. And the more we practice it, hopefully then the easier the holidays get, you know, because we're just going to have everything set up. So the boundaries work, even though this is holiday specific, is something that we do need year round.
0: Absolutely. We know that you all have thoughts to share with us about a variety of things having to do with family dynamics, boundaries, the holidays. So come and find us on social media and we can continue those conversations over there. Kelly, remind everybody where we can find you all around the web.
1: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kelly at
0: Lovewell or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lovewell blog. Okay, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at sortaawesomemeg. You can find the show over on Twitter at sortaawesomepod, and we are always on Facebook at any time at facebook.com/sortaawesome. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremend. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at pragermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome.